I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is about a film called Werewolf. This is a Canadian production coming out. I'm a bit built and created and written and filmed on a micro budget. And Ashley McKenzie is the director and the writer, and she's going to tell us about the collaborative uh, nature of how she works and, and how she approaches uh, not only her, her crew and her actors, but also just the, 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 the community that she's developed uh, uh, on her sets. This is a really interesting film. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play with your senses a little bit. It's, it's uh, dare I say, I hope this is okay, Ashley, but it's, it's postmodern. It steps outside of, of certainly what I'm uh, used to stylistically and I think uh, really helps to not only move the story forward, but helps to disrupt and to, to sort of penetrate a little bit deeper than your average sort of narrative um, um, filmmaking. And I think it's about really, in some senses, uh, paying attention. And there, for me, this film just appealed on so many levels because of its philosophical edge and its relational edge. And I'm not going to say much more other than you need, to, uh, you need to check it out. If you're a fan of film, if you're a fan of uh, philosophy, if you're a fan of, of, of relationships and of, of, of fighting back, um, then you need to see Werewolf. Interview with Ashley McKenzie coming right up. DavidPeckLive.com for more um, TIFF interviews, more interviews as a whole. We're probably close to 230, 240 now. Um, Rabble.ca, you can check us out there as well online. Ashley McKenzie and the film is Werewolf. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by another special guest here live at the Toronto International Film Festival 2016. Um, filmmaker uh, Ashley McKenzie is with us here today to talk about her film, Werewolf World Premiere. Ashley, thanks for your time. It's a little early uh, to be sitting in a bar without any alcohol, frankly. That's true. It's yeah. true. I haven't even had coffee. I think we should line a few shots up on the bar over there. We're somewhere here in Toronto on Peter Street. Yeah. Thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so thanks. you must be uh, kind of buzzing. Yeah. Uh, the premiere was last night? Yeah, yeah, I'm still buzzing for sure. It's overwhelming. 
So how did you feel? Walk, I was at the theater, mm -hmm. uh, attended the Q&A. Uh, how did you feel walking out? Just uh, you've been, and You're not a stranger to the film festival, right? You've yeah, I've had uh, two of my shorts played here, and I came and did the Talent Lab in 2012. And uh, yeah, TIFF also does a top 10 list every year, Canada's top 10, and my first short film played on that. So yeah, I feel like I've been back here several times, but this feels different. <laughs> Having a feature feels very different. Yeah, 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 I bet there's a little bit more of a uh, metaphorical red carpet-like edge to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just a lot of, I guess, the business side of business filmmaking. Side. Right. Yeah, you're yeah. not exposed to it as much in, in the short film world. You're in a bit of a yeah. bubble, but now it's like, okay, feature films are products or people are interested in you yeah. know, distributing them and selling them. And is and that so something that as a filmmaker you're just going to say, yeah, you know what, talk to the producer or, you know, here's here's the number of the person Yeah, to call. I would like to do that, but yeah. I'm the co-producer, so <laughs> <laughs> that's kinda, what I want to do, but then I'm like, oh yeah, that's I, I got to make these decisions. Kind of falls on you yeah, too. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by a question last night in the audience about the yeah. micro-budget side of things that maybe we can talk sure. about because uh, it's just really interesting, I think, too, and a, and a real inspiration to other filmmakers to be able to make something that can actually get to a festival, get to this level. On, I don't even know what a micro-budget means, but may maybe we can start there. Yeah. Why, don't, why don't we? Yeah, at least in Canada I know a micro-budget means a film made for less than $250,000. At least according to our funders, that's what it means. Like with the Arts Council, uh, if you make a, yeah, you can't really get Arts Council funding and go have a budget of more than $250,000. Are you allowed to raise $1. other money as well? Or? Uh, no, that's their cap. Like, with, say, say for us with the Arts Council, they gave us the Canada Council for the Arts gave us sixty thousand dollars, but if our budget could not exceed two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. Okay. And yeah, uh, and same with Telefilm, our other funder. You know, according to their, their regulations of in the micro budget program, they gave us one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and we could raise up to two hundred fifty. So, oh, I misunderstood. So they're not so generous that they gave you the two fifty. No. You ca you're capped at 250 yeah, you're capped and we'll give you 60 or whatever yeah. to help along the way. Yeah, so we oh, had wow, like okay. four funders. And basically. is it that hard to make a film like Werewolf for under 250000 It's. It seems like it's always hard, but honestly, yeah. I think that we sort of felt like it would be more advantageous for us to not try to be bigger because yeah. usually the yeah. bigger you get, yeah. the more people you need to answer to, the more you know um, insurance you need sure, and the more lawyers sure. you need yeah. and bankers and <laughs> that ends up being more work so in yeah, some ways yeah. we're trying to find like the middle ground where you have enough money to make the film but not so much that you end up doing more paperwork i got a real real grassroots real organic feel i mean no kidding you're i'm going to tell my listeners you're sitting behind a sign that says train spotting and and <laughs> how could, it is funny how could that <laughs> film not come to mind you know, watching your film last night and several others too, you know, mm. uh, Sid and Nancy crossed my mind, okay. uh, uh, Pi, Darren Aronofsky yeah. crossed my mind, you know, Requiem for a Dream, you know, there's there's others, that that, yeah. that sense of almost despair and mm. and meaninglessness of it all and, and the fact that, uh, and maybe you need to, we're, we're, we're in already, but the film is Werewolf and, and congratulations by the way. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I'm feeling a bit of the buzz myself for, for you guys as I'm doing these interviews, it's pretty, it's pretty fun, it's pretty amazing. Um, but my background is philosophy academically, mm -hmm. and so I couldn't help but go to that sort of postmodern feel, not only mm -hmm. about the story and the narrative and the characters mm -hmm. and their outlook on life, these, mm -hmm. these drug addicts trying to um, heal, but also your style. You know, there was this sense of geometry sort of to it, yet really disruptive. So 
the photo, the, 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 the frame was, it was framed, but it was off frame. Yeah. It, was, it was disconcerting, you know, philosophically, ideologically. And, mm. and on the drive in this morning, I thought, this is a film that's actually going to stick with me because of that, okay, which I think is fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, I think on the big screen, that, that feeling plays much more than, than I realized, I guess, because I've just been in finishing the film scene and on smaller right, screens. And right. yeah, me and a few of my collaborators were talking last night. We're like, whoa, yeah, some of those framings or some of those shots, they really, they are quite disorientating uh, uh, when it's on a big screen. Very unsettling. Yeah. I mean, was that in, uh, I mean, obviously these were intentional choices as a filmmaker, but was that your intent to disrupt the audience that much? I didn't, I wasn't consciously mm. thinking like, yeah, I want to disrupt the audience or I want them to feel uh, uneasy with this framing that, or anything like that necessarily. It, it was more just an instinctual choice that I was just trying to find the framing that seemed to say something or did, I guess, have an emotion to it, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really trying to necessarily get under people's skin or like have this effect. Uh, I just wanted to find the most honest framing mm. and I just didn't I, I mean I know, I guess I know in choosing not to do a classical to frame the film classically that it's gonna disrupt I guess naturally it's going to right of course you're not gonna that's what classical filmmaking is all about it's about not you know have no disruptions everything just coming to you very easily and are you a, are you a protester and an activist by by nature no <laughs> No, you seem pretty quiet, pretty understated in the Q and A. All of yeah. you did, actually. Okay. Yeah, in the Q and A, and I just thought, you know, yeah, what no. I, this is a pretty disruptive film for mm. me, anyway. I don't mm. know. Yeah, about that's for interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm definitely not a. I'm a pretty quiet person, and yeah, and I think yeah, my artistic choices in the film, I think, they just felt like simple, honest choices too. I they didn't. I didn't have a big agenda or anything like that. I think I was just trying to, to, um, trust my gut, and just do what felt right to my to my taste and what seemed interesting to me and what seemed powerful to me and what seemed aesthetically pleasing to me. And did you so know those that? things, yeah, that's kind of strange because I'm like, that stuff actually felt, that's what felt aesthetically pleasing to me. Mm. But it's actually, you know, I guess in a lot of ways. Well, really, so. it really aligns, in my mind, it aligns with the content too, right? Yeah. To the narrative and the yeah. storytelling itself and, mm -hmm. and, and how how this relationship unfolds. I yeah. think it really is quite postmodern in its own, and quite, I mean, there's a despair to it, right? an existential despair to it, and yet, um, mm. uh, philosophically, I think that's really apparent, and yet quite hopeful mm. as well, mm. really understated. Mm. And yet I have to say, I was really, I, I wanted to step into the screen and, 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 and get Vanessa to smile. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just wanted to stand up. <laughs> how, how can I help? Yeah, that's that's true. It was funny last night we were talking about one of my favorite films is by the Dardenne brothers, Rosetta. And I was talking to someone last night about how I had given Bria the film who plays Nessa because she was a theater actress and mm. I just thought, you know, this is her first time doing a film and I was just like, I'm just going to send her a few films that I think just to get give her a sense of what I feel like this film will be like as far as performances. And in the film Rosetta, the main character, who's like sort of the similar a similar age to Nessa, is so understated. Hmm. And for me, the climax of the film is she cracks the tiniest smile. And for me, that's the climax. But yeah, it's true that Nessa doesn't really crack even that subtle, subtle smile in the film. That doesn't happen. So, so 
Would you say, I don't know how many interviews you've done about the film and, and how much sort of, uh, you know, reflection post, you now screening is what, 12 hours, not even 10 hours. Yeah. What's the film about? I mean, werewolf, question mark. Um, you know, you made a very interesting comment last night. You said this film has touched pretty much all of us mm. in its own way, mm. and that got my attention. Um, you dedicate it to somebody at the end. Mm. Is this film about addiction? Is this film about mental health issues? Is it about relationships? Is it about poverty? I mean, it's about all those things, it seems to me, but love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's about all those things, but it, the film, I, I'm just realizing what it's about mm. now, but for mm. me, I think, I think it can be each of the things you just named to different people. I think that for me, it's a lot of it has become a relationship film because on a personal level, like I've sort of gone through that. I've been, I was in a relationship for, for years with someone who was my best friend and, but the relationship became very toxic. And then, mm. so then severing that bond was probably like the hardest thing I had to do. And I think that that's when I watched the film now, that's what I feel that with Nessa and Blaze. I feel like, oh, that's, it feels like my life in some ways. Wow. I'm watching on the screen. It's almost autobiographical in a way. In a way, but I didn't, wasn't conscious, you know, I knew I was right. putting some of that stuff in there, but it wasn't until like a few weeks ago in sound design where I was sitting back and, and watching it that I saw it for the first time, I felt like. Um, but yeah, the film is dedicated to uh, Mess Folk, which is uh, a band that a friend of mine was in. And that friend is someone who I started to write the, the character of Blaze for him to, to play. Because, okay. yeah, okay. he was a friend of mine in Cape Breton. And I was moving home to Cape Breton. And he was always telling me, you know, will you put me in a film? Put me in a film. And I was like, I, at the time, the film I was working on, it didn't have a role that was appropriate. But when I, was start, when I moved home to Cape Breton, I thought, oh, OK, no, I, I think this you know, film werewolf, I think that he could, he could act in this. And the character, I think, is someone who will really relate to because a lot of people back home, a lot of young people are struggling with some mm. of the issues you're talking about, mental health, uh, feeling trapped, depression, unemployment, um, addiction. And so, yeah, I started to write it for him, but within a few months, like, he had committed suicide. Mm. And that, for me, just cemented needing to make the film because yeah. it, it felt like, you no, know, these issues that I'm starting to explore, they just sort of exploded in that moment and just, they just touched me closer than I'd already just of course. being can, in that community, th those issues were all very close, but then all of a sudden it just became so personal and it just felt like this, you know, a subject matter I had to explore at that time. So that's, I think, what I mean by, I was touched personally by it because Andrew, who plays who plays Blaze was also a good friend of mm. uh, um, my friend Phil, who's in Mess Folk. So, yeah, it was a personal. I'm not, I'm not supposed to like Blaze, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with Blaze. I mean, I my heart went out to him in, in mm -hmm. so many scenes, right? And there's this, there is a bit of tension there between, for the love, would you look what your this woman is doing on yeah. your behalf and for you, and the generosity and the grace, and 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 on some level, you got to think. It was getting through. Uh, at least I got. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I got to try to remain hopeful. Yeah. And I yeah, think your film does that too, which is really remarkable mm. in such a what appears to be a dark world on the surface. Yeah. yeah, I think with my characters, I don't try to make them likable or unlikable. Right. I just try to make them be what they are and right. how that comes off. 
I just fi I'll find out about it afterwards when people start talking to me and for sure people are like blaze I just wanted to step in there and strangle the guy and other people are like I related to how so much to how messed up he was and I feel so sad for how self-destructive he is and well, I, I think uh, I mean I hope people go on to uh, see the film and, and talk about some of the issues that you're raising because I think I mean I'm I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work on PTSD right now and okay. mental health issues mm. and uh, in relation to uh, Southeast Asia and Cambodia and the, the Civil War and so on. Yeah. <clears throat> and just seeing how little's being done around it. Yeah. Never mind in, in that part of the world. Yeah. And even here, I mean, yeah. some of these issues, we're just, we're, we're kind of still afraid to talk about them yeah. in some respects, right? It's a little too vulnerable. Yeah. Don't get too close, right? Yeah. We're all kind of blaze in some way, right? Yeah. No, it's so it's so true and I think making this film was definitely a mission. Like my friend who I mentioned, Phil, who the film is dedicated to, what I loved about him is he was so candid, him mm. and his brother, and mm. his brother also um, took his own life. So mm. it, these, these, I mean, they were both artists and both just very interesting young people and they were so candid about their struggles, you know, with mental health and with the law and with, they spoke out about it so much and that really ruffled people's feathers and they were of sort of provocative guys in the community because of that but making the film I just respected that so much and always thought about no someone like we just need to talk about it let's just talk yeah. like yeah. silence for me just is really isolating si silence well too often it seems to me is the is is the uh, well it's not the answer but it certainly seems to be what so many of us turn to relationally yeah. uh, when it comes to the work workplace bullying have you ever heard of it I hadn't until recently and it's it's becoming a huge issue but yep. of course people don't want to talk about yep. it because there's fear and anxiety and guilt and all these things mm -hmm. right but it seems to what I mean I've uh, of 25 years now I've said you know that what is it we're not supposed to talk about sex religion and politics and I've mm -hmm. added death to that mm -hmm. and then and then said hang on those are the four things we should be talking yeah, yeah. about. <laughs> that's the stuff of life why it's aren't we talking about that connected yeah. so okay so so have you read much existentialism in university a bit, so, but okay. it's been a while. So, so <laughs> I found the scene with the lawnmower up the gravel hill oh, yes. to the camper. I just went to Camus. Yes, okay, yeah, for Like sure. immediately to Camus. Yeah. Like this is okay, their lives. Yeah. It doesn't get, I mean, I just, I'm getting goosebumps yeah. even. It just, it, it, it does, and this is for me is the, the trap of it. When mm -hmm. I want to start going, oh, come on, Blaze, you need to be responsible. You need to make better choices. Yeah. I think. I think when you see that, you start to get a sense for that and, and, yeah. and, and intuitively feel it as mm -hmm. maybe, just maybe it moves the needle a little bit when it comes to empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause and it gravel does. too, the sound, <laughs> the sound is actually irritating. Yeah, like the sound yeah got it's to abrasive. Me. It really sure. is. Yeah, it's abrasive. But yeah, no, the, there's a definite Sisyphusian thing going on and actually, Years ago, I just remember when you brought this up, I wanted to name my production company. before. It's called Grassfire Films, but what I was going to name it was Pivot Pictures because I had a philosophy professor who talked, he had this theory of basically finding hope in the myth of, the myth of Sisyphus, which was that when you like walk up to the top of the hill, he described that when the, you know, the boulder rolls back down, that the step you take backwards, this one step back, this pivot, he described it, as within that pivot that there is space there to sort of have hope or mm. to have some mm. 
consciousness of the situation that you can maybe make a choice on how you feel about basically this <laughs> deterministic uh, scenario that you're stuck in. And for our listeners, Sisyphus, the Greek myth, Albert Camus retells it, uh, starts this short essay. The most important question is suicide. Mm-hmm. If if the world yes. is meaningless, if yeah. things are truly meaningless, then yeah. the most important question is yeah. why not whether, suicide? Whether not and then goes on to tell the, the myth of rolling a boulder up a hill and then it falls down again. You got to go back, yeah. and so it's finding meaning in the meaninglessness. So your yeah. your prof says you turn around to take the step back to go get the boulder. That's where the hope is. Yeah, that and, arc and of or whatever. Yeah, the there's this minute yeah space and your pivot backwards that. You can, How do you get through to somebody like your friends um, and communicate to them that, you know, uh, your friend Phil, for instance, mm-hmm. at some point, obviously, the, the despair trumped the hope, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, in mm-hmm. a sense. And well, most of us probably get there at one time or another, but yeah. maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, it's, I don't know, that's, that's a question I don't feel like I can really answer. I don't, know, it's, if there, it's, don't it's, know if there is one really. No, is it's there? so hard to understand I think um, how the moments where people do feel like that there's a, you know, there's a reason to be here and life is good and the moments where people feel like it's, there's nothing that, you know, you make a choice to commit suicide, that question. I mean, my friend Phil really liked Camus as well and hmm. Like, I don't know, you can you talk about these issues and it's like, you know, you right. read a text that's about right. it, but it's like when you're actually living, living it, then yeah. not, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. For, for me, you know, everything, everything comes back to relationship and not at the risk, at the risk of sounding trite. Everything comes back to relationship. Everything comes mm-hmm. back to, 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 to bonding. And in, in, a, in a film, Marie Curie, that I saw yesterday as yep. well, there's a great line by Marie Curie's character. And she mm-hmm. said, life is trivial if you don't do it together, basically. Mm. The Which, physicist? That's right, yeah. Oh, yeah. there's a film of her. Yeah, Interesting. yeah. The Courage of Knowledge is the subtitle. It's oh, wonderful, cool. really beautiful film. Marie Noel is uh, the, the director. And, and so for her, I mean, it's really this great scientific metaphor of mm. the, the, you know, the parts, the, you know. But, but we've got to do this together. We're in this together, and there's a couple of scenes in your film that are really mm. difficult to watch, where, where they're trying, in a sense, to reach out to the community, mm. to offer their services, uh, to cut mm-hmm. lawns, mm-hmm. and people are just entirely shutting them down, mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. to think, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't help but say, have I, <laughs> have I behaved that way? Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't want to listen. I'm not interested. Yeah. Walk on by. Yeah, that that brings to mind. Actually, I was reading a review of. Uh, a film called Heaven Knows What by the Safdie brothers, which is about a young couple who are drug dependent. Um, someone, had, you know, they're, they're filmmakers I really like, and I, you know, I wanted to check out the film. But it's, uh, this, I think he might have been a professor, but he was talking hmm. about in, in talking about the film and the couple and their bond, which is a very dysfunctional bond, um, similar to Nessa and Blaze. He, he was describing the difference of basically people who live on the margins because you're, you're isolated from normal social relationships in a social circle that you become, which is a healthy thing, you know, I guess in a normal Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. you have many different healthy relationships and that's a normal social life, but when you're someone who lives on the margins of society that you don't have that, so you become over-dependent on single things like maybe a drug or a person, just, you know, just the idea of, yeah, 
but that idea of how people on the margins maybe are more prone to end up in codependent toxic relationships because they just don't have a world or options uh, to bond with things in a healthier way so they become over dependent on, on things or almost like a, end up in an addictive relationship or you know an addicted to a substance and that made a lot of sense to me where I'm from in Cape Breton it's like I live on an island and it's like there's an island complex I think which is hmm. sort of ties back to that that you're na naturally just more isolated and no man and is an island yeah <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> but I think it, it can sort of lead to, lead to some of those uh, problems because we do have these core needs to, to mm -hmm. bond and things mm -hmm. in relationships. Well, and I think there's come back to that. I mean, I just, I, you know, Blaze and Vanessa, I want to know what, you know, we, we get to meet her mother. Uh, I want to know a lot more about what's going on there, mm. you know, before. What happened? What, what, what preceded? Mm -hmm. What wasn't done? Yeah. What, what, what were the gaps, the emotional gaps, the relational gaps that led them to this place, mm -hmm. and, you know, that, and, and how could have we as a community, as individuals, as a society, I don't know, intervened in some way. And maybe, maybe, and I know people, friends of mine are listening right now laughing, going, yep, there's Peck the idealist again, mm. right? But I don't know, you gotta be hopeful, it seems to me, right? In that pivot of your, that yeah. pro pro professorial pivot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that the film is sparking those sorts of ideas. Oh, I think it's going you know, to, ideas. yeah. Because I think, again, if we can just talk about them, I don't feel like I have the answers. Yeah, it's yeah, some, sure. It's, it's, those are questions that I <coughs> ask myself, too, all the time. But I, I don't know how to, what, the, what the fixes are, and I wish I knew. And yeah. I wish that no, they're not in easy, my own right? community that we could just do things turn, that would... Turn on a switch. Yeah, yeah. How come we don't see too many other faces in the film? I don't, I don't think we do anyway. Yeah, we, no, we, see we lots don't. Of Blaise, it's, it's lots true. of Blaze, uh, lots yeah. of Vanessa. Yeah, and Vanessa and Blaze are the main characters, and the frame lingers on them, and everyone else is more in the off-screen space. And uh, that was, I think it makes sense for these two characters to, to just focus on them, because the film is about them, and because I just, the simple reason that I chose not to shoot in a classical way, right. which would be a wide shot, where maybe you'd see sure. the two people in the sure. room, yep. and then you move before you move into to a close-up, or if we're both sitting here uh, and we're talking, you'd do a shot right for a shot, it would go to you, it would go to me. But for me, I'm like, I, I chose not to shoot it classically, so then when it, I made that choice to do more singular, uh, take a singular perspective on a scene, I'm gonna put the camera on the, on the main character. I'm not gonna put it on, you know, someone who's, the film's not about, so it just, in that way, just the style sort of ended up focusing on the, the main characters more, but I think also it just speaks to the characters, and I think that when you're in a situation like them and your world sort of shrinks, like, they're just trying to survive, and I think their their life is probably a lot different than than most people's because they're, it is just a struggle to survive. And I think that when your world shrinks like that, and that that's probably what it feels like. I don't know, mm. but I think mm. I wonder. I'm mm -hmm. hoping that the, it does capture somewhat the immediacy and the, the claustrophobia of what it's yeah. like when you're you know well, have, you, trying a, to figure out the, your basic the, the, needs every the, day and the, the loneliness of it, right? Yeah. The sense of just being. Everyone's against me. Yeah. And that certainly blazes mm. kind of yep. presupposition his yep. approach to life. Yep. Tell me about the clothesline. Why is that? Why is that so important in this film? And I mean the opening shot and how you hold on it and mm. the big knot and, and mm. maybe we're tipping our hats too much. But I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, well, it's a, it comes back at the end of the film as well, the clothesline. So it's sort of like just a very gentle, the film sort of, the film opens with a scene that really chronologically would be at the end of the film. So I, I linger on it in, in some ways because I, you know, it is sort of coming full circle, um, the film. But again, I, I was always just shooting things that felt like they meant something to me. And now when I look back at it, yeah, I see the clothesline and I see the grinder that Nessa <laughs> grinder. grinds Oreos in. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, the knot in the rope, mm -hmm. like the knot for me is, again, a, a bond, a connection between things and... and uh, a, bro a broken knot. Yeah. In, in a sense, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah, and Blaze also, they have, they siphon gas from cars to put in their lawnmower, and, you know, they have a tube that they mm. siphon gas with, and, you know, at one point in the film, he takes it and puts it around his neck and, and tightens it, you know, and starts uh, choking himself. And, yeah, and there's also a bike tire that he's spinning at one That's time. Right. And yeah. there, I don't know, there is definitely, I think, certain images, I think, in the film that, that do re reoccur and become sort of motifs. They definitely do. They're they're deeply existential. I yeah. mean, the, the Oreos, the, the, the drudgery of it, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the the sameness, right? Day yeah. in, day out. Yeah. The, well, this is Sisyphus, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't yeah. this Camus again, sort yeah, of bub think so. bubbly? I think it is, too. I love the fact that, that um, you had a script, and, and last night, and we're going to have to wrap it up here in a yeah. second, but last night in Q&A, and you kind of were very sort of playful with, well, you know, we had this, and we tried to shoot, but then we just kept the camera rolling, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and I think you were really... I guess, and this is the sign to me of a great director and a filmmaker, paying attention, hmm. right? And listening, hmm. listening That's to what was going on around you. No, that, that, that is, sums it up for me is that's, as a director, or I think maybe, maybe any artist, that's usually what it's all about is just like paying attention. That, that's what it was like. It was like, yeah, we'd set up a scene, but then when the actors would go on, on break while we're you know, changing batteries or something, they're sitting off, it's just about having our eyes open and being really observant to everything, you know, every moment, not just the moment that you scripted. Like the person, when you're shooting a scene, the person who walks down the street <laughs> that maybe you want to run after and ask them if they want to, you know, do a scene or something just because, I mean, it's life that is inspiring all these things. And I just, it's fun to just take things in and, and well, grab, you know, go towards the things that interest you. And well, without a doubt, you, know, you are an attentive filmmaker for sure. Uh, Werewolf is the film. We're here with Ashley McKenzie at the Toronto International Film Festival. Thanks and congratulations again. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, that's a great conversation. Thank Thanks. you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.